You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome back to Sports Nerds. Sam here, Brian over there. Today we are going to be joined by John Peters. I'll give you a little bit of background about John here in a second. But before we get there, I want to suggest that you find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash sports nerds. We're also on Instagram at sports.nerds and on Twitter at underscore sports nerds. You can also follow our page on YouTube. And that's just youtube.com slash sports nerds. And then if you would, we would very much uh, love a review or a uh, a rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, however you get your podcast. Uh, in relation to Anchor, while we're on the topic, uh, we are open for donations. And so Brian and I put a lot of time into this show uh, on the front end and the back end and during recording. And so if you wanted to throw us a dollar or two or five, it would be much appreciated. I know that so many of you listen to the show and get a lot from the show, and so we would appreciate if if you helped helped our cause. Uh, before uh, we start our conversation with John Peters, I'll give you a little bit of background about John. Um, John is the VP of Business Development for the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, which is a trade organization that educates, represents, and serves leading sports and fitness brands. Uh, they also do some fantastic industry research that we will discuss here in a bit. John advises sports technology startups, uh, something we are also going to want to cover, and he also helps them move from concept to launch to funding acquisition. Uh, he was a uh, he was a board excuse me he is a board member for the Women in Sports Tech, a nonprofit aimed at growing opportunities for women in the industry. John, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, to talking all things youth sports and, and technology. No, we're excited. Brian, are you alive? Are you there? I'm here. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. You so, so yeah, oh, okay. I totally hear you, man. Yes, for sure. So John, as you know, um, Brian and I are extremely fit men. So I'm really glad that we have this. <laughs> we're by far the least fit, I think, of, of those in this conversation. So um, it's kind of funny that we're talking about sports fitness with two guys who just, we run enough in order to drink the beer that we want to consume. <laughs> that's a safe bet. Okay. So um, John, did we cover your background enough or do you have more to add to that? Uh, no, I think that was a pretty uh, pretty comprehensive background. It's always funny listening to uh, your your bio read. I, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that that is true. So yeah, no, I think it was a pretty pretty good overview. Um, our our organization SFIA for for short um, has been around uh, like 105 years now. It's wow. uh, uh, the the premier, I guess, the only real you know trade association for anyone making products, uh, sports products, fitness products, footwear apparel team uniforms the list goes on so pretty pretty expansive uh, group of folks we're, we're fortunate enough to work with so how does it work is, it, is there an annual uh, uh convention conference in which folks get together and they they present their technology or their advancements and there are also conversations about the state of the industry do you have one of those or is it just this report that you present how does it work yeah, that's a great question. So we, uh, just funny enough, next week, uh, we'll have to have you guys out. We're, we're coming to Denver for our keynote or our keystone event, rather, our uh, Industry Leader Summit, which is a, a good two-day event of, you know, networking, all things sports business. We've had everyone from from Kevin Plank to the, the head of Jordan to Mark Emmerich from the NCAA, you know, address the crowd. Uh, it's kind of a collection of C-suite 
titles of, of people running companies. So that's going to be at the, the Brown Palace, funny enough. So if you guys are, are able, you should definitely come to that. Um, way back in the day, before when we were called SGMA, if you if you read if you read uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, he references the Super Show several times. So we used to run this show, this massive trade show called the Super Show. Uh, we've, we're now out of the trade show business, and we host three or four events throughout the year, uh, a slew of research reports for our members, uh, and we're here in Washington D.C. So uh, with all the craziness of Capitol Hill, we do have you know lobbyists on staff and 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 work on bills to promote uh, and move the industry forward. Okay, very cool. And how did you get into this? How did, how did you find yourself in this position? Uh, yes, yeah, a good question. Kind of by accident, I I was doing some early consulting after grad school, uh, and did that for about a year or two, and then um, kind of just found it. Uh, really loved the idea of of promoting physical activity and, and breaking those barriers down, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a bit about you know some some barriers to to activity. And, uh, you know, I've always loved the brands that, you know, we all wear every day and, and play in even as a kid. And so it was a, it was a natural fit. Got, I got pretty lucky as they say, timing, uh, timing worked out. Timing seems to be everything. If you're okay with it, I think, uh, jumping into the, the state of the industry report might be a really fantastic start. And then we can kind of figure out, you know, as we go through it, uh, other topics to cover, but I wanted to first ask you kind of having been in the industry for a while, what trends are we seeing? Uh, uh, happening over the last three to four years in terms of sports participation and fitness that really stand out to you? Just as a little background, we we actually go out and survey and interview over, uh, I think it's now 40,000 households in America. And uh, we, we produce probably 100 reports a year on all things participation. So if you ever read Time Magazine or Sports Illustrated talking about how many kids are playing football, uh, that's probably our data uh, cited there. So we've been doing that for many, many years. Uh, and every year we produce a big state of the industry presentation with interviews from CEOs in the industry, but also, uh, you know, focusing on wholesale numbers for, for business growth uh, and also participation, as you mentioned. And so in regards to participation, I think the, uh, uh, the overall industry is pretty, pretty healthy. Um, a couple of takeaways, however, that, that we continue to see. Um, one of the biggest uh, takeaways that we, we have found that continues to be a problem year over year is this idea of inactivity. Uh, so we, we actually survey and give the uh, participants 185 to 90 different uh, activities. We say, have you done walking for a sport? Walking to your car or walking to work doesn't count, unfortunately. So uh, you have to walk on a treadmill or actually walk for sport. Uh, have you run? Have you played hockey? A- anything. So we, we put that out and year after year, the number is closer to 30%. So last year, 27 0.6% of Americans said no on all those options, meaning uh, almost a third you know, of people in America did not get off the couch uh, to do any of those activities for exercise, which is- That's pretty shocking. It, it's wow. almost hard to do, right? So, and keep in mind, it's, um, it's self-reported. So if you think about uh, oh, yeah, you know, true. some people probably, probably lying if, yeah. if Sam did it and he didn't tell the truth right now, uh, some things of that nature. So it's probably a little bit higher than that. And that's one of the, um, the, the, the biggest kind of slaps in the face, if you will, of, of the report that, that we find every year. Uh, the bad news is that that number actually went up from last year. Uh, and, and it, it seems like it continues to go up. So that's, that's, that's kind of one point. bucket. People are going to not, they're going to, they're going to not be honest about the fact that they're lazy as fuck. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, wow. Okay. 
damn, that's depressing. Anyhow, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's really bad. So, so you know, another you know big big takeaway uh, for 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 our industry is related to to activity and, and those numbers. There's a clear correlation that we've identified, and and the data was would suggest with lower household income uh, uh, in America. It definitely correlates to to inactivity. So uh, we're a firm believer that that um, there are financial barriers to, particularly team sports right now. If you think about what's going on with the registrations and and, and things club club soccer and other things, we're a firm believer that um, there needs to be more done around breaking down costs to to participate. Uh, and and our data would suggest that for every sport. Interesting that I just mentioned club soccer. One call out in the report, and it was in the New York Times, uh, and I believe it was somebody at a conference recently. I think it was Hope Solo, maybe. Um, she came out yeah. and and said, you know, soccer is a rich white man's sport, or something to that effect. Uh, I probably butchered that, so be sure to Google it. I don't know, fake news. It's here, it's, but... it's pretty close. We talked about it on the podcast, actually. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay, I think perfect. It's, I think it's... Rich white kid sport, but yeah. Rich white kid. <laughs> uh, exactly. And so, you know, year after year, and we do a lot of work with uh, AYSO, one of the big club soccer organizations, and you know, soccer, obviously, and breaking down those barriers to get more kids active because year after year, and we've presented in front of Disney about this, they're definitely in the youth sports business with their their, their playgrounds of, of campuses down there if you've ever been. But they had no idea that youth soccer uh, correlated with the, the highest amount of participation definitely comes from the highest household income, uh, $100,000 or more annually. So uh, just these types of things that we talk to our companies about, talk to the media about, talk to you know Capitol Hill senators about, all these different things is is kind of underlying problems with, with youth sports today. And that survey, it's not just kids, right? It's all Correct. age groups? Yeah, yeah. So it, cuts, it starts at six years old and it goes all the way to either 55 or 60 plus. Um, yeah, so so it runs the gamut of of all things participation. You know, it makes sense that that walking is the number one um, uh, activity of choice for exercise because all you need is a pair of shoes. Some people you could argue you don't even need a pair of shoes, right? You know, it's not like lacrosse or, or equipment intensive. So uh, walking year after year, I think it's fifty million plus uh, who identify themselves as uh, avid walkers. You're doing that yeah. fifty plus times a year is kind of how we identify that. Do you, do you think that the, are we seeing a trend, um, towards a more sedentary lifestyle? Uh, like we're saying it's, 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 you said it's moving towards 30%. Did it used to be a lot lower, the number of people who weren't doing, uh, doing exercise at all as maybe club soccer gets more expensive or travel baseball gets more expensive? Is that, is that sort of the driving force or a catalyst in, in this decrease in, in active lifestyle? Yeah, so I think um, that's a really good point. I think that uh, one of the, the enemies, and, and we were careful about calling them enemies, is, is technology. And if you think about you know things like screen time, and uh, you know one other thing to address that is is there's a, also a, our data would suggest in this report there there is a clear correlation of of having physical education in your in your elementary school PE class. Um, and the likelihood of being exposed early on to continuing to play sports and be active as an adult. Um, the numbers are overwhelmingly positive. If you had PE, you know, as a kid, you're, I think it's 80, I think it's 85 or 80% more likely to be active as an adult. And I, I say, I bring that up because, um, in the nineties, our organization raised, I think over a billion dollars in 12, 13 years 
to take those PEP grants, we called them physical education grants, and put them back into schools. So uh, literally many grants of 5,000 bucks here and there to you know, schools in Mississippi and, and all across the country for that matter to make sure they had equipment for you know, PE class and teachers and curriculum and all that. So uh, fast forward to today, unfortunately that bucket has not grown and more activities have been taken from that bucket, meaning fine arts and, and you know, band class and other things like that. Not to say those aren't necessarily important, but uh, it's starting to cut into physical education uh, uh, awareness. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I, I think what I'm trying to say is, uh, yes, the trend is getting worse from, from what our numbers suggest. And I think that um, you know, everything from screen time to passive least resistance. I mean, you can Netflix binge watch anything today, right? Or turn on your Hulu for hours on end. It's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, pretty dangerous. Yeah. But, and, and that's one thing that the trend wouldn't explain is if you had people 20 years ago who were in their twenties that were leading an active lifestyle, it's possible that because of things like, you know, Netflix or whatever, that they're not as active as they were, even though it's the same population that's kind of being studied or, or sampled. Right. Yeah. So it, it yeah. may not be a different generation's perspective on fitness. It might be a, a change within a generation that was at one time more physically active that is less so not because of age, but because of other catalysts. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you could absolutely uh, uh, make that make that assumption for sure. It seems uh, I don't want to say ironic, but definitely interesting that I'm you know I'm looking at these numbers. But the fact that perhaps we aren't as active as we used to, uh, but yet you're seeing used to be, but yet you're seeing an increase in the technologies uh, that want to I guess spur us or govern us towards being active. And I'm thinking like the iWatch, and so your point about sports being this thing that is becoming uh, less accessible. Uh, depending upon your socioeconomic uh, uh, standpoint, is really, really interesting to me. So knowing that you're a representative of the industry, are there initiatives within the industry to kind of get uh, folks who don't have access to organized sports or to pay those fees? Uh, what other kind of initiatives are you seeing from within the industry, aside from the ones that you mentioned? Like, are, are there very clear examples of, of funding that's going out there? Is it a, is it a large scale uh, uh, attempt? Like, what, what are some of the things that are happening? Yeah, no, that's a, a really good point. There's, there's a couple uh, just off the top of, top of my head. I mean, if you look at what you know, our friends at the NHL, uh, Rob Woolley and Kim Davis, their their growth team, uh, what they're doing is that they took all the owners uh, for the NHL and identified a, a, a real problem for for hockey. Uh, Pat Lafontaine, a good friend of ours, he's involved in this as well. They took a fund from the owners and said, and I'm not sure how much it is. I want to say twenty to forty million, some some ballpark number. But the idea was to uh, insert their declaration of principles of, of getting kids active and, and playing the right way and integrity and all these things and building out ice rinks throughout the country. Because if you think about hockey as an example, uh, it's, it's, it's not as easy to, to put up a hoop in a basket, right? You know, if you want to play hockey, you have to have, you know, proper uh, equipment and attire. And, and w- what's interesting is they kind of took the, the approach of let's just get a stick in a kid's hand. And so one thing that they did, it sounds super simple, but it, 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 it took a while for this to click, uh, was to build out a kit for, for kids. So little Johnny's eight, year old, eight years old. He's never played uh, hockey before. Maybe he's you know, playing t-ball or something you know, early in his, in his, in his uh, uh, childhood. And you know, they would drop off a bag of everything you would need. Right. So skates, pads, you know, uniform, stick, puck, everything all in one. 
And so if you think about it, not only is that, and then they were still paying for it, obviously, I think it's maybe like a hundred bucks, but that's a lot cheaper than what you would have had to pay for had you bought it separately. And two, the convenience factor of, of being able to have that uh, uh, stick and, and equipment to, to just, just play, just put a stick in a kid's hands. And I think a couple things around that is super important to note. One, it's it's getting kids active. So uh, Pat LaFontaine, the, the NHL great, obviously, he he, he is on record saying that he has played more street hockey than he has ice hockey, which is kind of funny to think about. And what, what's interesting about that is, is that quote, that mindset kind of trickled down throughout the NHL and they're really doubling down on making sure all kids are playing. They've done other things like instead of a, a regular rink from end to end, think about turning that into four rinks uh, parallel, right? So you put in smaller rinks, uh, make the game more fun for kids. You know, related to all of this, the other point I, I, I can't uh, uh, not make here is is sports specialization. So, mm-hmm. one one big problem with with you know youth sports in, in America right now is the idea that little Johnny is ten years old and he's not good enough to make team A for soccer or football or football's a bad example. There are a lot of positions, soccer or, or lacrosse, and little Johnny quits the sport altogether. That's a, the absolute worst case that could happen. And, and a, that's happening a lot more than, than coaches and, and parents want to acknowledge. And, you know, when that happens, uh, it, what are the chances that that kid comes back and tries that same sport again? Because most often than not, when a kid stops playing sports or a sport, uh, his or her answer is overwhelmingly they quit because of the experience. They didn't have a good experience, whether the coach was too mean or the kids were too competitive or, or whatever. Um, I think it's a really interesting kind of message to, to take a look at what we're sending our kids. And um, anyway, that, that the reason I bring that up is because, you know, the exact opposite of that is, Hey, let's just put bat and balls and sticks and gloves in kids' hands and just get them on the field. And so NHL is doing a great job of that. Major league baseball, we called out in the report, their play ball campaign. I'm sure you've, you guys, I know you guys watch baseball. I've heard your, your, your episodes before, I'm sure you've seen their ads, uh, the commercials play ball. And, and that's the same concept. They, they're working with city mayors and MLB goes in and, and just has these events and has six, eight, 10 year old kids just running around. And maybe they hit the ball and don't run to the base properly. Maybe they catch it and don't throw it right. But the, the point is they're exposed to the game in a, in a fun way. And I think that's really important. Perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sort of the move towards more structured, competitive teams or travel teams might be at the expense of, you know, like a, a sandlot archetype for, for kids playing neighborhood sports or something, which seems that's, that's kind of the sense that I get when you describe these programs that you're just talking about. Um, I have a question. I'm curious how you see the industry kind of dealing with the, the kind of competing benefits that they see coming from sports, right? On the one hand, and you sort of alluded to this, we can see sports as this very competitive thing. We want to teach kids how to play and how to play right and follow the rules and ideally, right, how to compete and win and want to win. The other side of it, clearly from what we've talked about, is health and well-being and fitness and that sort of stuff. It seems to me that those could at least occasionally be at odds with one another, which one of those you want to promote. Is that a tension that sort of the industry has to deal with? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I actually have not, and we, as if I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about that, but I can tell you that... Um, a couple of things around that. One is is so we track casual players and core players. So it, it, it varies by sport. So if you let's use skiing as an example, if you were uh, a skier and you skied eight times or more, 
throughout the year, you're a core skier. And uh, our brands, a lot of, of people who sell products to, to athletes, obviously, no surprise, care about the core athlete. Um, and it's so interesting you brought this up because I was talking to the head of the former head of Adidas Team Sports about this. And, um, you know, the, very the, the, he was being very open about the kids that, or the, the athletes that they sponsor. And clearly, Nike, Adidas, all these brands want to sponsor the elite athlete and, and kind of market down. Um, but Adidas in particular, I just call them out. They, they have done a really good job of, of embracing uh, the, the lesser kid in terms of talent or the, 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 the casual player is probably the better way to put that um, in, in getting them on the field. And again, putting a ball in their hands, running around, jumping, playing, because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's very clear that if 30% of America is not doing any activities yet, Lululemon and Nike are able to sell you know, hundred dollar shoes and, and shirts and, and bags and t-shirts uh, that people wearing the sport aren't necessarily playing the sport. Right. Uh, so uh, I guess I'm not answering your question directly, but uh, no, that, that's, that, that, I was thinking that same thing though. That's interesting. The, the number of people who like the, the athletic gear who buy it for aesthetic reasons or for <laughs> self-presentational re- reasons, not so much to go and, and, and do the sport. So I find that interesting too. Yeah, almost almost aspirational reasons in in the sense of like, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of. I mean, it, it just makes sense, right? Like, if you look at Nike's numbers, they they sell four hundred million shoes uh, a year or something like that, three hundred fifty million, and clearly, uh, not not all those people are playing yeah. playing sports wearing those those shoes. So in terms, of- and 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 as they sell more, participation in fitness activities goes down. That makes it counterintuitive, right? <laughs> that, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of what we are doing, I guess we'll we'll try to stick to the positive here. The fact that some people are 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 active. What changes uh, is the industry seeing in in terms of the activities that folks are are participating in? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, you know, one thing we identified probably four years ago in our research, and we've continued to see it year after year, is now Gen Z, we talk about a lot, but millennials is still the buzzword. It was more the buzzword two years ago, but they're very, very much about sampling sports. So we have seen this this wide increase in casual participation across the board. So an example of that would be um, uh, one of the fastest growing individual sports in the country right now is, is stand-up paddleboarding. Hmm. And so if you think about like, I'll give you a really silly example but if you think about the the whole instagram worthy post of being on a paddleboard with your friends and you know being on the water and the whole thing i mean there's a lot of truth to that right so that that's one example of something and i think you know if you look at things like top golf a, a, a derivative of, of the traditional game if you want to call it that or a fun more fun way as i call it i've i'll be honest i've, I've never uh played a full round of golf um, in my life, but I do play top golf and I'm a millennial. Top golf. Yeah. Great. So, so if, you, if you look at, if you look at things like that, fun runs, color runs, Spartan races, all those group kind of experiential activities have taken off and, and, and the, and the surge is very clear, uh, of, of why that is. And, and I think you're going to see a little bit more of that with, with Gen Z. We're already starting to see some of those numbers, um, uh, uh take off there. And, and then you think about a sport like spike ball. We, we don't track spike ball officially. We, we know their CEO and folks really well, but, um, you know, that I've in, I live in Washington, DC and I've seen it on the, the, the mall, the national mall here several times and forever. It was just a quote unquote, you know, beach sport. Do you guys have that in Denver? I do. We don't have beaches. Have you seen <laughs> no, it, Sam? It's it? awesome. It? It's like a it's like a mini exercise trampoline, okay. and like a, I don't know, the ball is smaller than a soccer ball, like a tiny mm-hmm. soccer ball, and you 
I, I don't know. It's kind of like I don't know how to describe it's like, it. Sort it's, of it's like almost like a tennis, but without a court. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to you have to spike the ball into the trampoline thing, <laughs> and then the people on the other team have to spike it back. It's really cool. Huh. Okay. Very engaging. Yeah, it's almost like a, a a mini smaller version, quicker version of volleyball, except instead of hitting it over the net, you're you're spiking it down on the, the trampoline and it, it bounces back up at you at your opposition, I guess. I, yeah. It's got some handball, racquetball to it. Yeah, but yeah. Cool. I, I know, John, that you're not necessarily interested in in the sense making part of all of this, but just out of the conversations that you've had with these with these leaders, do we know why some of these group activities are are on the increase, or why you know yoga is on the increase? What is it about the contemporary moment that's energizing those growths? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably a, a bunch of right or, or you know potentially right answers to that. I, I think. You know, just to speculate, I mean, just to go back to the point of, of you know, uh, more fun group based experiences and and almost like not to say millennials and Gen Zers aren't competitive, but they would much rather do a, you know, run a mile and drink a beer, the whole, you know, marathon thing or the race thing or, you know, anything. I always, again, go back to the Instagram thing, anything that's Instagrammable and in, in, in a worthy moment that that they can do and, mm-hmm. and enjoy the experience. I'll just go back to what I said earlier about we've done this studies or the survey several times. ESPN actually did this, I think, two years ago. Um, and they found the, found the same thing we did, which was uh, a large percentage, an overwhelming percentage of kids quit because of the experience. And so I just think it, it, it's so uh, cliche to say, but but when you talk about experiences, especially for us, because we're you know we come from a, a retail branded world, and when you walk into a retail store today, unlike you know Sports Authority, which which you know used to be headquartered out of out of your guys' backyard, unlike that whole self service, people now want to experience. So when you walk into the store, maybe they're waiting you know to say hello to you and and have a glass of champagne, or you know the new Nike store out in Melrose, you know it's actually crowdsourced by the zip codes around there. So they're, they're stuffing inventory with uh, things that people in their zip code has searched. So when you walk into the store um, it's very relevant to you. So, you know, those types of things all go back to the experience and, and I hate, I wish I had a better answer. I hate to use the E word over and over, but it's, it's definitely about the experience. No, I think, I think there's, there's a lot to be said there. I just wonder um, there seems to be multiple factors, you know, the, the, the want to to post a cool Instagram photo, but I'm also uh, thinking, and this is some of the work that's been done within um, digital media scholarship, which is the separation of of people that is caused by social media. You know, not not being in proximity to each other, but yet, you know, there's this this uh, generation or half generation that I think all three of us are a part of that have this desire to participate in group activities. And we'll actively seek that out because on a daily basis, those kind of connections just aren't possible. There's got to be some element of that that, that's fueling yoga or even, you know, Mm -hmm. CrossFit. Uh, You know, I think some of those those boot camps that you see all the time on on Groupon and things like this. I mean, looking at some of these sports that are increasing, it's 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 kind of fascinating. Um, uh, Target shooting is on the way up, camping, hiking, all these things that happen here in Denver. But also, you know, weight use, you know, using free weights, um, yoga, as I had mentioned, swimming, uh, being on, on the up and up. I don't know. It's just it's kind of fascinating stuff for sure. Yeah. And, and I think uh, absolutely. I, w- one of the other things that I neglected to mention, we are the sports and fitness industry. So we work with companies like Technogym and Nautilus and so on and so forth. 
you know, one of the other trends that we identified um, a little while ago, uh, a couple years back, that has still not, you know, popped or, or the bubble hasn't popped is kind of what to go back. What you're saying is the whole Barry's boot camp, the Soul Cycle, the spins, the the pellet or the flywheels rather. A lot of that boutique fitness is 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 a large driver of this. So, mm. you know, if if and I and I don't want to offend you guys if you're Soul Cycle members, but I just I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that somebody pays like forty bucks a class. It's almost like if if I were an investor and you came into my office and said, "Hey, we need money," and I said, "Hey, for what?" Uh, and you were the founder of Lou Lemon, and you told me you wanted to make $125 yoga pants, I'd say, get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> like, that's crazy, right? <laughs> so, but that just goes to show you, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, obviously. And uh, people are willing to pay for, for, for that aspirational, uh, that, again, experience, the, the ability to, to wear good product and, and share, you know, with your, with your uh, peer group. Uh, the fact that you're 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 doing a spin class, getting sweaty, and posting your heart rate and all those things, Orange Theory. So, do you guys do any of those? Have you tried any of those kind of boutique fitness uh, classes? I don't. I mean, I'm I'm a runner. Um, I, I, again, I not to say that social pressures or peer pressures don't influence me influence me, but in terms of of you know health and well being, it's never been something that's really driven me. And so I I guess I see that in these activities such as Orange Theory Orange Theory Fix Fitness, where you have that group uh 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 force that's you know does getting you to come to class every day. Same thing with CrossFit. Brian, do, what do you do you do any of that stuff? No, I've never done any of that okay, stuff. Yeah. We're both runners. Brian was I'm, I'm more like you. I just get on my bike and I ride around my yeah. bike. Yeah. So the what, what's, uh, what's the brand? What, what, what type of shoes do you guys wear when you run? I'm a solo. So I've, I've discovered Solomon running shoes, uh, over the last two years and I can't get away from them. They make a fantastic running shoe, which is kind of odd since they're more of a ski company or a winter sports yeah, company, yeah. but, uh, they're awesome, especially here in Colorado. And they're real trail runnery too, yeah. right? Most of them well, they, are. So there's a little, little more heft. Yeah, there is. The ones they do make kind of a, a, a basic running shoe, not so much a trail running shoe, but they're, they don't have a lot of those, uh, uh, products offered, but you're right. They, they mostly are a trail running shoe, but, um, they're waterproof, the ones I use. So I'm down hmm. with it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Hey, we got like 10, five, 10 minutes here, John. I wanted to ask you, uh, specifically kind of what the conversation is within the industry in terms of the decline of youth football and the increase in what it appears to be soccer. There's a big jump in soccer, but also Brian, I don't know if you saw this from the report baseball being, uh, uh, on the, on the rise. So is it one of those things where, you know, parents are the driving factor in this, or is there something else at work? Uh, yeah. So, you know, one, one thing, uh, let's, let's maybe start a couple different sports. So maybe we'll start with baseball. I think, uh, they've had un- unquestionably, uh, a great story to tell for these past couple of years. I mean, just pulled up the numbers here. What's interesting, most interesting to me about this is the double digit increase for core, uh, sorry, for casual athletes. So, you know, Baseball in particular is interesting because right now, if you think about the the sports setup in America, team sports, basketball is by far the number one most popular high school sport. Um, baseball is probably a, is right up there as a, clo- a close second. Uh, so they have a very large base to grow from, unlike, you know, forever lacrosse was growing the quickest and some of these other things. 
but they were growing from like a million players, right? So, you know, core that is. So not quite as impressive. So anyway, long story short, for baseball to have a third, almost a 13% year over year jump for casual players is, is massive. I mean, I can't even, you guys are PhDs, you guys know this better, way better than I do. Uh, that is a tremendous growth. And even in the core, they almost grew 2%. So what's going on there, uh, it goes back to what we talked about with the play ball campaign. So um, it almost makes so much sense that it looks like we make this up, right? So uh, MLB, again, you know, they partnered up with Under Armour as an example here in Baltimore, right, right by our offices, and, you know, got the mayor, and they, they literally just threw balls in the field and bats and got all these kids from local schools to just come out and play. And I don't know this, but my guess is a lot of those kids, uh, they were so young that they had just started playing sports or they hadn't even, or a lot of them probably didn't even play baseball. Maryland is a very lacrosse heavy state, as we all know. So I think it exposed them to the game. And, and as a result, you saw a lot of casual uptick from those efforts. Um, now the question becomes, how does, you know, what the leagues, I mean, let's be clear, the leagues have a, a very clear incentive to exposing these kids to, to the game early on, right? So the question becomes, um, at what point do you convert that casual to core? That's a much more interesting, uh, mm-hmm. way longer, probably a whole episode debate about, you know, how do they convert that casual player when they have them on the field? And there's only a fine window, right? Like you can't just come back in two years and try to convert them. There, there's a, a strategy there. So, you know, if I'm Rawlings, the CEO of Rawlings is on our board, um, Louisville Slugger, Wilson, et cetera, some of these other brands we work with, that's the question that they're trying to crack. That That's the code they're trying to figure out. Um, just just because you asked me for, for football, I'll just touch on that. It's always a sensitive subject, um, but something we don't you know necessarily run or hide from. I mean, football, tackle football is clearly uh, on the downslide. Any way you look at it from casual to core, um, what's interesting is, is there are companies in our industry right now that are trying to solve this um, this this quote unquote crisis of CTE and and head trauma and and safety in the game. Uh, USA Football, uh, our CEO is on the board of, of their uh, organization. I can tell you from firsthand that they've taken a, a a completely new approach from the ground up, organic to uh, make sure kids are learning how to tackle properly. They're doing a really good job right now of flag and and touch football. Flag is off the charts. There are flag football leagues popping up everywhere, both youth, but also professionally. Um, and, and there's a real story, a really interesting story to tell from, you know, okay, maybe we need to do a better job of coaching flag early on and coaching them how to tackle properly and, and all those other things. I will say this, um, there uh, seems to be this narrative around CTE that is not exactly backed by uh, controlled studies. So, so you know, when you ever, whenever you see a, a New York Times article or any study say 99% of something is true, chances are there's, there's more to the story. Uh, so I do think that football is the media's favorite uh, victim, right? I mean, they're just beating it down. Um, but the numbers do suggest that that tackle football is on the downside and, and they'll come out of it. I mean, this has happened to every sport before in America and, and they go through transitions. And um, my guess is, is tackle football will be okay. Yeah. It's the, I, I mean, I wonder if, you know, there's other things facing tackle football aside from just the CTE stuff. It might be the way that they sell their product on television and that other stuff. Um, I'm, I'm curious, do, does the industry think that there's a linkage between sort of mainstream sport popularity and participation? Like does the major league baseball's concern about pace of play and viewership and stuff, do, does the industry think that that hurts 
the likelihood that kids will be, will will transition from casual to core players as you described yeah that i would i would absolutely guess that that that's that's 100% true um i can say you know i, I don't know exactly but but i do know this that the leagues uh have been on record saying that they are proponents of you know fandom and because fandom drives awareness it drives you know sales merchandise ticketing all that stuff and so one of those avenues as we have seen is especially the NBA uh, getting involved with esports, and so you know just just when you're six years old watch playing NHL live or in NBA 2k these these games Madden just learning the plays, learning the players, learning the numbers and the colors of the uniform, all of that stuff matters very much. So, so it's no surprise to see, you know, esports reminds me a lot of, of Amazon in our industry. So forever you saw these mom and pops and, and even today, some, some of the older generations just refuse to shop on Amazon because they don't like what they stand for or whatever. But, you know, like esports, it's a, it's a freight train. It's coming and <laughs> are you going to embrace it or are you just going to, going to get left behind? And so that's kind of the way, um, a lot of our, our brands and leagues and, and, and other companies are, are kind of looking at that. Um, not to say that they kind of love it, but, but they know it's here. And, and as an, just an example, again, getting behind some of those initiatives uh, in the technology world, like esports, uh, creates fandom overall. And, and what we think and the leagues think, it, it creates a fan for life. Well, John, um, there's so much more to cover. We're going to have to do this again for sure, at least maybe when we when we come on uh, your podcast. But is there anything else you wanted to add for the moment uh, that that maybe we didn't cover that you really wanted to get to? Um, you know, my my uh, government affairs uh, vice president at SFI will kill me if I don't. And and I, I do I, I never usually do this, but the timing is so interesting. So. Uh, related to kind of b- breaking down barriers, one of the things that we have been working on for, I think, eight years now, maybe 10, uh, is this bill called the FIT Act, P-H-I-T Act, uh, Personal Health Investment Today. And it's never gotten past the House of Representatives. And go figure that in the year of turmoil, it just passed about two months ago in the House. And so uh, Maybe I should back up. The Fed Act, what it would do, why, why your listeners and, and you guys should care, is it would, if passed, uh, allow consumers to get a tax-free purchase for physical activity or, or, or sporting goods, wow. equipment, or you know treadmills of that nature. So anything fitness sports related would be tax-free up to a cap, obviously. So if you have a flexible spending account or health savings account, believe me, I know a lot of people don't know what that is. <laughs> a lot of my friends are like, I'll go vote for it, but what's an FSA? So we had some issues around the terminology, but it would change the IRS definition of what you could buy. So if your little son wanted to sign up for a race, that league registration fee would be tax-free. If you wanted to pay for a yoga membership, that would be tax-free. So we think it's a game changer, the biggest impact since Title IX in sports, um, and it will be voted on in the Senate in December, most likely. So fingers crossed, please keep your eyes peeled and, uh, uh, and, and get, you know, maybe, maybe read up on it. Yeah, that is, that is so cool and makes total sense, right? Like your FSA you can use for, for over the counter medicine or for your contact lenses or stuff. It's health, it's health related and fitness related stuff. Why would, why would a sports equipment or gym membership or yoga classes, why would that not qualify? That makes, that makes total sense to me. No, seriously. That's, I like that. That's good news. Yeah. That's the, what was it called again? Uh, the Personal Health Investment Today. So FITAC, P-H-I-T. That's awesome, man. That's great. Well, John, we really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining the show. Um, 
Is there anything you want to plug other than that? I know the podcast or places where people can learn more. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the sfia.org is, a, is our main website. We're on, you know, Twitter and, and all those things. And um, thanks for the plug. I mean, we're uh, uh, my a couple buddies and I launched a, a kind of a fashion sports products lifestyle podcast. It's called the Sport Lifestyle Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And uh, and you know, thanks for having me, guys. You guys do a, a really good job. As we were saying earlier, I think you're filling a a void in the industry. So uh, really, really appreciate your episodes and, and definitely keep it up. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. Let's try to to grab a an adult beverage maybe when you're here uh, in in a few days and. Um, Only if I get a koozie. That's my my (laughs) mistake. We got a koozie for you. Uh, You have a great day, my friend, and thank you for joining the show. Thanks, guys. Take Take care. care. Thanks, John.